with us. We're so grateful that you're with us today worshiping God, and we pray that, uh, that this has been a time that has drawn you closer to God. Uh, I would invite you, inside of the bulletin, there is an insert. Uh, on the one side, it says MPG. That stands for Memorize, Pray, Glorify. Uh, what we want to do with the MPG is to take some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning and take them a little bit further down the road in life. And so we're going to give you a scripture to memorize. We're going to give you a prayer exercise and another exercise in the glorify section that will make very practical what we're going to be talking about this morning. And then on the other side, we have a sermon outline where you can fill in the blanks, uh, make some notes, uh, follow along as we go through God's Word this morning. And uh, there may be some things in there that you want to ask some questions about. I'm going to be at the green wall out in the foyer if you're leaving uh, and have a chance to stop by. Maybe we've never met, you've been visiting, and we haven't had a chance to meet, or maybe it's your first time today. Come by the green wall, introduce yourself, and uh, I'll be blessed to meet you. Uh, there is uh, a scripture, 3 John, may not be a book that you have read recently, maybe once a year, if you're going through the Bible in a year, you maybe spend uh, one morning reading through uh, the Johannine epistles. In 3 John, the first chapter and the second verse, we read these words, Beloved, I pray that in all respects, you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Say those last two words with me. Soul prospers. When is the last time you thought about your soul prospering? I mean, when's the last time you even thought about your soul? John reminds us, I think, of a very important fact with just those two little words, soul prospers. It is possible for your soul to prosper. It is also possible for your soul not to prosper. In fact, Jesus will talk about that in Mark chapter 8. He'll say these words, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his what? His soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, most of the time when we think about those words, we think about being lost for all of eternity. I think Jesus has more in mind than the, the final judgment. I think what he's talking about is, is more than just the end of time. A lot of people in our world, in fact, a lot of people that we probably run into from, from time to time in our day in and day out, have experienced what he's talking about. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, for a while there I lost my way? Or have you heard somebody say, that's, that's a lost soul right now? Or I feel lost right now? We know what they're talking about. Uh, Denzel Washington made a film back in 2012 where he is this commercial airline pilot. And he is a heroic pilot nationally because he saves the passengers on his plane as, as the plane is going down. And uh, he does it, though, while he is under the influence. He is a hero on the outside, but on the inside, he is an addict. 
And this movie depicts his struggle to keep the addiction hidden while being a hero on the outside. In fact, he's a whole lot like the, the little Dutch boy in the story that has the cracks in the dam and he's trying to hold the water back by sticking his fingers in the crack. He is just as unsuccessful as that little Dutch boy. And there is this point in which his addiction outweighs who he is as a hero. And in the movie, towards the end of the movie, He's, he's talking to a group of men, and this is what he says to them. He says, It was as if I had reached my limit for lies in my lifetime. I could not tell one more lie. I did not have one more lie in me. And as the camera pans back, Washington is now incarcerated, and he's talking to fellow inmates in a prison recovery group. The incarceration, the bondage on the inside has led to incarceration all over his life. What he was hiding would not stay hidden. His secret life became public life, and he swapped his freedom for, pre, for, for, uh, for prison. There's a saying that a lot of us say to each other from time to time that's what's in the well will always come up in the bucket. Now, friends, uh, here's something we've all experienced. One day we turn on the TV, we open up our news feed on our smartphones to the revelation of someone leading a double life. The, the, the secret sins become public headlines. Judgments begin to flow. How could that person do that? What kind of person is that? And sometimes it hits even closer to home. Someone in your family, someone in your family, your friend group is discovered to be involved in something you know, that's not that great. There was a secret life that was hidden. There was a secret life that no one knew about. And then one day there's discovery. And the story becomes public. The story breaks. Family is devastated, careers are destroyed, reputations are ruined, lives are altered, and it's loss upon loss after loss upon loss. And it happens in every area of life. Sometimes it even happens in the kind of work that I do as a minister. And we all know of those stories that have hit the headlines. Countless times over the decades... Countless times over the decades, a person has come into my study and their brokenness can no longer be contained and it just breaks out. And in a moment of candor, in a moment of honesty, in a moment of, 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 of tears streaming down their face, the broken ask, what happened to me? What happened to me? What happened to me? I never saw it coming. I never thought this would happen to me. I never wanted this. I didn't see this coming. What was I thinking? This is not who I am. But the sad truth, it is, in part. The self-deception, the self-destruction, the deception of others, the collateral damage is never intended, but it is ever real. And in the evening, we sit in front of the TV or we sit in front of the news feed with a horrible and a surprising and a disappointing story before us. 
And there is sometimes a little judgment that begins to set in as we watch this unfold in front of us and we ask, what happened to them? What happened to them? Not realizing that what happened to them could happen to me. What happened to them could happen to me. We all know King David. King David watched his predecessor, King Saul, unravel spiritually and emotionally before he lost everything. And then years later, one evening, King David, during a low period in his life, I'm in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David sees a woman bathing on the rooftop near his palace. And he has to have her. He has to have her, although he is told very bluntly that she is the daughter of a friend and that she has a name. Her name is Bathsheba. She's a person. And not only that, she is the daughter of someone you know. And not only that, she is the wife of one of your best friends, a fellow by the name of Uriah. And yet he has to have her. He seduces her. She becomes pregnant. David goes into damage control, which which leads into this unbelievable collateral damage. And he tries to hide the mess by bringing her husband home from from the battle. But eventually, he has to contrive a plan in which his friend, Uriah, her husband, is killed in battle. And it looks like he is safe, but he's not. One day, there is a prophet by the name of Nathan who comes to confront him with the truth of the reality of what his life has become. Lust and adultery and deception and lies and murder. His is not a hallmark life. It is a Netflix life. And he tells the story, Nathan talking to David, tells the story of a guy who had this little lamb that he loved dearly on this little little piece of acreage adjacent to a guy that had this enormous piece of real estate. And on this enormous piece of real estate, he had all of this these cattle, and all of these flocks of sheep. And one day, this rich man has a friend who comes and visits him, and he loves the taste of lamb chops. And it's on the menu. And instead of taking a lamb, a sheep, from his own massive flock, the rich man takes the one little lamb owned by his neighbor, and he serves it up with mint jelly later that night to his friend. Now, as David is hearing this story, as Nathan tells it, David is getting angrier and angrier and angrier until he is enraged. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David burned with anger against the man. And he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. The nerve of the guy, David says. How dare he do this to another human being? He's despicable and he needs to be punished. Who is he? And Nathan says, look in the mirror. And he says in verse 7, you, you, David, are the man. Here's a really big truth about life on planet Earth. It is possible to become the person you despise. It is possible to become the person you despise. 
So, so here's a question. Is that just reality? Is, it, is, is this just reality? We're all broken in one way or another. It's just a matter of time before we really mess up. It's just a matter of time before the other shoe drops or somebody finds a smoking gun or the skeletons come falling out of the closet. A season of embarrassment and humiliation is just around the corner. The shame train is barreling down on top of us. Is this just reality? I want to say an uncategorical no. God is in the business of prospering souls. That's what John says. But even the oldest psalm that most of us know by heart, Psalm 23, think about what this very David said about the soul and about God and life on planet earth. In verses 2 and 3 he says, God leads me, the shepherd leads me beside still waters. He restores my He restores my soul. Psalm 62, truly, my soul finds rest in God. This is where I find no anxiety. This is where I find peace. This is where I find rest. This is where I find that non-anxious presence. My soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress because my soul rests in God. I say it with me, will never be shaken. So here's the thing. We all have cars. Some of us have a fleet. We all have cars cars that at some point will have this little yellow light that comes on. A little light that looks like a motor. And most of us choose to ignore it. Yellow lights, no big deal. Car seems to be running just fine. I don't have time today to put the car in the shop. I'm busy, got things to do. It's just a yellow light, so we keep going. And then one day, the red light comes on. The car breaks down on the highway. They never break down in your driveway. (laughs) They always break down on the highway in the middle of rush hour, and you're dead in the water there on 410 or 281, and everybody's passing by you as you're stopping up traffic, and they're letting you know what they think of you. (laughs) And you're in that broken car in the middle of traffic, and you're asking, how did this happen to me? How How did this happen to me? And the answer is that you did not do two things with that yellow light. You did not address it, and you did not acknowledge it. You did not acknowledge and address it. And the same is true with our souls. Here is what I want you to get out of this morning's sermon. If you get nothing else and you get this, fantastic. But here's the statement I want you to remember all day today. Acknowledge and address your soul's yellow light. Say that with me. Acknowledge and address your soul's yellow light. Now, in the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at four practices that help us to prosper our soul. But this morning, what I want to do is just talk about there is a reason why the yellow lights come on and there's a reason why those yellow lights need to be taken seriously and it's this that life is hard on our souls and sometimes it works against our souls prospering there are three things the first one is this just the blistering pace of life that we work at 
that we live at, that we play at, that, that this blistering pace of life that is just running us emotionally and spiritually and physically into the ground. Do you ever feel that you have been sucked into a pace of life that everyone unanimously hates? There's a fellow by the name of Michael Zigarelli who did some research, conducted a survey of over 20,000 Christians around the world and identified a spiral, that's my word, not his, a spiral of busyness in the church that goes like this. Number one, Christians are assimilating to the culture of busyness and hurry and overload. It's what David Zach calls this, um, you know, when we live this fast-paced skimming along the surface of life, this, this hyper-living. So Christians are assimilating to the culture of busyness. Got to stay busy, got to keep in a hurry, you got to overload. The more we're busy, the more we're overloaded, the more that we're hurrying everything up, the more that, number two, God becomes marginalized. Number three, as God becomes more and more marginalized, it just makes sense that our relationship with God deteriorates. And as our relationship with God deteriorates, which means that we recognize Him as God, but He doesn't act like God in our life, we recognize Him as our Savior, but not our Lord. He's, he's marginalized. The relationship is deteriorating. So what happens, without that God voice in our life, Christians begin to adopt secular assumptions about how to live, which means that we're buying into the culture of busyness even more and conforming to it. And there's hurry, and there's overload, and the cycle just continues until we spiral down. Here's something I want you to remember, friends. The blistering pace of life isn't only not Christian, it is contra Christ. Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you just have to stop and be still and not move and not speak and not be in a hurry, and not be overloaded. You have to be still and know that God is God. The first one is the blistering pace of life. Number two, the barrage of trauma. The barrage of trauma that enters into our life. I want to give you a quote from John Eldridge. He writes in the book, Getting Your Life Back, we talk about unplugging, but we're enchanted by the endless social media circus of love and hatred, the vapid, the alarming, the sensational, and the unforgivable. We're snagged by every new notification, and while we're, and while we're always had our, had our individual struggles and heartbreaks to deal with, now we have the tragedies of the entire world delivered to us hourly on our mobile devices. There's another book uh, written by Amanda, Rye, uh, Amanda Ripley where she talks about conflict entrepreneurs, uh, which are, are folk which are trying to leverage fear and anxiety and tragedy in the world in order to make money, to gain money. The tragedies of an entire world are delivered to us minute by minute hour by hour, day by day, on our mobile devices. We are less and less exposed to that which gives us life. We see more night than day sometimes. Psalm 36 says, For with you, God, for with you is the fountain of life. 
In your light, we see light. And then the last thing we'll talk about this morning, we'll close with this. The neglect of our soul. The, the danger we face is to invest in appearance. The, the danger, the temptation we face is to invest what is public, what everybody can see, and not attend to the inner life, which could be, just might be, a mess. We spend, an ex- we spend a lot of money and we expend a lot of energy in our culture convincing people that we're okay. We ignore what people can't see in us and invest only in what people do see and inch by inch, day by day. We ignore that little yellow light that's going off in our soul. And we do not heed the words of Jesus where he says at the end of Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your... For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four practices. Surrender your life. Guard your heart. Confess your heart. And worship God alone. Now, there's a lot more that we could add to that list, but those are the four practices we're going to look at. And I'm going to end every sermon this way. You know, right now may be one of those seasons in your life where you've discovered that there are some unsavory things, some things that you don't like happening in your life. And maybe they've gotten to the point where you can't ignore it anymore. Uh, And maybe you're feeling a little bit of hopelessness right now, that things can never be the same, that you can ever be restored, that you might be happy again that you might be able to make amends and you might be able to repair the damage that you've done to other relationships? And the answer to that is yes. This is the power of God and God's Spirit in you and the power of fellowship in the church. We want to be the kind of church where people, when they, when they find themselves in that season of life, where they have ignored that yellow light and what has been hidden has come out into the public. We want to be that kind of church, friends, that allows people to find their place in the kingdom of God again. And we want to remind them on a daily basis, and some of you, that will be your responsibility in that relationship to do it multiple times during the day, to remind these folk that God is for you. Accusation comes from the adversary, which is Satan. We have to stop doing Satan's work in the church. And that is accusing people and and acting as their adversary when what they need more than anything else is the love of God sometimes manifest in a brother or sister and to know that God's grace runs freely and that there is help and there is companionship and there is forgiveness and there is time and support for you to make a difference. The other thing I want to say is this. What we're going to be talking about with these four practices is not going to become a a kind of a new form of legalism in the sense that you do these things and it's going to keep you out of trouble. That's not what this is about. The, The best life, friends, is this. It is a life that is lived with God. 
It is, it, the, the spiritual disciplines are not about doing things in such a way on a daily basis that it keeps you out of trouble. Now, that is a side benefit, and believe me, that's a pretty good benefit. But you know what these benefits do? They get your soul closer and closer and closer to God. And you begin to develop a taste and a hunger and an appetite for the things that delight God. The things that delight God become the things that delight you. And so you get very serious about surrendering your life to God on a daily basis and confessing what is not all that great about you to somebody appropriately, to somebody that you trust. It's about guarding your heart, what goes into your heart and guarding your heart and making sure that you're exposing your life to what truly gives life and light. And it's about rediscovering for many of us what it means to worship God and not the idols and, and, and not the assumptions and not, not the, 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 the cultural standards for what it means to be successful. Because we don't want to become the person that we could easily despise. We want to acknowledge and address the yellow lights of our soul. And we want to be, you know, as a church, we don't make the gospel beautiful. The gospel is beautiful. And when it gets all the way down inside of your heart where you can access it, it makes you beautiful. And in that way, people see that the church is not made up of perfect people but it's made up of people who understand what grace and forgiveness and what the presence of God, the beauty, the worth, the treasure of God and how it changes us into people who can be honest about life and honest about that which is dark and to rejoice about that which is light. That's what we're going to do the next four weeks. Right now, we want to invite you if you've never been a disciple of Jesus, if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, you have questions about it, find somebody in our church family. I'll be at the Green Wall. Find us to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And let's stand and let's praise God together, right?